Good morning, church. Pastor Greg here. Uh, as you heard, I am still on COVID lockdown at the house. I'm still testing positive, but thankfully I don't have any more symptoms. That only lasted for a few days. So thank you for all of the prayers, all of the meals, all of the love on Facebook. I appreciate all of that. And I miss you today. But I, I am feeling great uh, enough to be able to work this week and preach to you today, even if it is just from home via video. Well, we are in our second to last week of the Revelation series. And when you think of the near ending of the story of the apocalypse, there's still one more event that we haven't talked about yet. That's the return of Jesus and the final battle between good and evil, Armageddon. So when I say final battle or Armageddon, what comes to mind? Maybe you picture something like this out of the Lord of the Rings. Satan and his army versus Jesus and his army charging at each other across the field. Or maybe it's like Jesus versus Satan in an arm wrestling match. Type amen if you love Jesus. Keep scrolling if you love Satan. Or maybe it's just the cheesy Bruce Willis asteroid movie. Well, whatever it is, I'm guessing that if you've been taught anything at church in church about Armageddon, you probably picture it more like the Lord of the Rings. You've probably been taught like I was, that Armageddon is one giant battle where all the armies of the world, led by the Antichrist, gather together in the Middle East and fight against the returning Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. It's an epic final war between good and evil. But you see, there's a big problem with that understanding. It's mostly wrong. That's not how the book of Revelation describes this final battle. In fact, it's not final and it's not even a battle. Yes, we have an enemy, actually a few enemies. Yes, we have a conquering hero. We even have a battlefield but there's no battle. There's not even a single clash of swords. Okay, so let me explain. So today we're gonna jump around chapters 17 through 20. And I'm combining a few of the chapters because the, the we, we didn't have a church last week and we had the retreat prior to that. And so it's a lot of text, but we'll hit much of it. So to help you understand what Armageddon really is, I want to talk to you about four things. The battlefield, the enemy, the hero, and the outcome. That's the battlefield, the enemy, the hero, and the outcome. Then after that, I want to bring it home for you and show you the difference it can make in, in your life this week. So let's start with the battlefield. Now, this is probably the least interesting thing today, but it's probably the first misunderstanding you have. See, the name Armageddon isn't actually an event. It's a place. It comes from chapter 16, which talks about the battle on the great day of God Almighty. See, verse 16 says this, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Or this is also Har Megadon, or the Hill of Megiddo. So Megiddo is actually a city in ancient Israel. 
In fact, it was the location of numerous battles in the Old Testament. So it wouldn't be surprising to people to hear that a big battle would happen there. But remember, there was no actual battle. So next, let's talk about the enemy. See, this is where it starts to get interesting. Now, we, we see some of the same characters we've seen before. The dragon, representing Satan. The beast, representing the Antichrist. And the de demonic army of the beast, the followers. But there's a new player on the scene. A woman named Babylon, the great prostitute. She's described like this. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Now, this is just the beginning of a vivid description of this deplorable woman. She's named after Babylon, the Old Testament city that became synonymous with grave sin. In these chapters, she's characterized by false religion, idolatry, greed, violence, and the abuse of power. Very quickly in chapter 17, it becomes clear that John is actually describing Rome, the largest world power of that age. This represents the social, political, and religious antithesis of God, the opposite of every, everything good and godly. But in God's grander picture, Babylon the prostitute represents any system of power that takes the place of God. It's any empire that promises wealth and success, but demands allegiance. It's any empire that pursues wealth and neglects the poor. It's any empire that uses political power to gain religious power. And it's any empire that looks beautiful on the outside, but on the inside is full of arrogance, corruption, and violence. And as we'll see in chapter 18, the judgment against Babylon is swift and harsh. So we have Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Babylon the prostitute, along with legions of demons lining up at the hill of Megiddo. So who's on the other side? Well, every battle needs a hero, and ours is introduced in chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, 
and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the return of Jesus Christ, also known as the second coming. But let me caution you, it is very easy to misinterpret Jesus here. Here are some examples. Have you ever heard the line, the Lord came as a lamb, but he will return as a lion? Or the good old Left Behind series described him as the warrior Christ, ready to wage a literal war. Or the, the disgraced pastor Mark Driscoll once preached, in Revelation, Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and the commitment to make someone bleed. Unfortunately, these understandings of Jesus are all wrong. See, three things in this passage suggest that Christ won't come as the warrior king, but instead is still the slaughtered lamb we saw earlier in the book. First, his name is the word of God, faithful and true. Second, yes, he has a sword, but it's not in his hand, it's in his mouth. We've seen this image before in the first chapter of the book. See, Jesus Christ never rules with a sword. He rules by being the true word of God. And third, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. But this is before the battle. He's not covered in his enemy's blood. He's covered in his own blood. He is still the slaughtered lamb. Christ defeats his enemy is in the same way he always has, through his death on the cross. Jesus wages war not by violence, but by self-sacrifice. As pastor and author Brian Zand puts it, Christ always rules from the cross, never from an Apache attack helicopter. Now let's talk about the outcome. What is the outcome of this final battle? And this is probably the most surprising part. Well, there is no battle. Nowhere in chapters 17 through 20 is there any fighting. There is only victory. Jesus Christ wins simply by showing up. This reinforces that Jesus' victory came at the cross, not the battlefield. Jesus already defeated death, Satan, the Antichrist, and evil when he died on the cross. So here's how the Bible describes the outcome. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, 
and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into a fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. See, there was no battle, only defeat. And next, judgment. First, Satan was bound and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. This is a time of peace and of Christ's rule called the millennium. After the thousand years, Satan is released from his prison and he leads another army but like before, they are instantly defeated. And then, finally, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are thrown down into the eternal lake of fire, whose torment has no end. And then the last event in the sequence is the final judgment, where every person is judged on whether their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there you have it, Armageddon, the final battle, which is neither final nor a battle, but a continuation of the victory, rule, and reign of Jesus Christ that he began on the cross. And there are a few hugely important implications of this for your life. First, all victory you will ever need in your life was already accomplished by Jesus on the cross. See, Jesus already defeated any enemy you are facing today. You don't have to try harder, work more, or be better. All you need are the same two things that Jesus Christ brought into battle. His death on the cross and the truth of his word. In those two things, you can stand firm in the victory you already have. Feeling hopeless? You already have victory in Christ. Addicted to something? You already have victory in Christ. Experiencing spiritual oppression? You already have victory in Christ. Just living tired, you already have victory in Christ. Getting angry, you already have victory in Christ. See, Jesus showed up at Armageddon and immediately won. He can do the same thing for you if you trust and obey and walk with him. In him is all the victory you will ever need in your life. The second is an extension of this. Victory in Christ is found in self-sacrifice, never in attacking others. There's a whole group of Christians out there who are trying to build the kingdom of God by attacking others. You'll find them online. You'll find them in politics. You might even find them in your family. Maybe even in the mirror. Powering up has never been the path of Christ. 
violence has never been the path of Christ. To quote the author of Soul Care, Rob Reamer, you can't use the tools of darkness to gain victory in the kingdom of light. And lastly, our blessed hope is found in the return of Christ. Our blessed hope is found in the return of Christ. Around here, we talk a lot about hope. In fact, it's the first word in our mission statement. Hope, healing, and growth for next-gen Hmong and beyond. And if you are living your life in Christ, his return is your blessed hope. In fact, that is the greatest hope you could ever experience. His return will bring joy beyond imagination. Romans 8 says that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the glory that will come when he is revealed. Everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So come back to discover the power of this blessed hope. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you for the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ. And I pray for every person here watching me in person, watching online, or watching later in the week. And I pray for their souls. I pray that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That they are following Jesus. And in that, they have victory. I say a special prayer for anyone out there who is feeling defeated, who feels like giving up, who feels like life might not be worth living. I pray that you make yourself real, make your love known to them, and let them know that in Christ and with you, they have victory. Lord, so I pray in the name of Jesus, victory over every person watching me and listening to me here. I pray victory over River Life Church in St. Paul, Brooklyn Park. I pray victory over the families, over the children, over the adults. I thank you for the victory that we have that the, the battle has already been won in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Love you, church. I am confident that I'm going to be back in person next week. So keep praying for me for a couple negative tests coming up. Okay? Take care, everyone. See ya.